This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. Let me invite you to take a seat. Good morning. And let me say, I am impressed. Like, it is spring break weekend and the time change, and y'all made it to church. So give yourself a round of applause. Very impressive. You guys get a silver star. The gold star went to the first service. That was really impressive, but so glad that you're here this morning. Hey, listen, it's always an honor when I get to cover for Pastor Byron, and what a blessing it is to have a senior pastor that is such an incredible communicator and week in and week out does an amazing job of presenting God's word to us in a way that's relatable, relevant, applicable to our lives. Man, that's the amazing thing about the Bible. It is thousands of years old. And yet those words still have meaning in our life today. And one of the things he talked about last week was one of the most ancient practices of the church. And even though it's something the church has been doing for thousands of years, it's still something so vital and so important to our spiritual journey. And that's baptism. And so if you didn't have a chance to see that message or you weren't here on Sunday, please go online. We've got it available, man. Watch that message. He does an amazing job of explaining the history of baptism and then why it's so important and so critical that that be your first step after you make the decision to follow Christ, is to follow through in baptism. And listen, on March 26, two Sundays from now, we are having a baptism celebration. And based on the message from last week, we already have over 25 people registered for baptism, which is awesome. So listen, if that's your next step, man, join the party. We would love to be um, a part of your baptism. And so if you will do this, if you will just text the word baptism to the number on the screen, you're going to get a link in return. You can fill out that registration form. We'll just take you a few seconds and we'll follow up with you and make sure that you take the next step in your spiritual journey. For those of you that are parents of anyone in elementary school, maybe you've got a child who's been asking some questions about baptism, maybe asking questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we have a specific environment designed just for them, and it's called Kid Faith. See, in the life of C3, we want to make sure that every single person, child or adult, that you own your faith, that it is your personal decision to follow Jesus. It's not mama's decision, daddy's decision, grandma's decision, that you've come to the place in your own life where you recognize and understand what Jesus has done for you. And so if you have a child that's been asking about baptism, or again, what it is to follow Jesus, this class is going to kind of take them through the steps of what it means to have their own personal relationship with Jesus. And so you can register them if you'll just go to c3church.cc forward slash now. We've got a link on there for Kid Faith. They're going to do that next Sunday at 11 o'clock. So you can just check them in to see three kids like you normally would. The kids team will take care of it, make sure they go through that class. And then as long as everything goes well, they'll be ready for baptism. So, man, we are really looking forward to the 26th. Well, listen, typically when I cover for Pastor Byron, we're in the middle of a series or maybe we're going through a book in the Bible. And so the topic is already assigned to me. I, I know what I'm going to be speaking on. But when we were setting the calendar for this year, this particular weekend, we knew that we would be in between series. And so Pastor Byron said, hey man, you got free reign, choose whatever you want to talk about. And I was like, awesome. And so I started praying through and thinking through, like what, you know, what could we, we could talk about this morning? And God kept bringing this one particular subject to my mind, and I kept just pushing it off. I, God, you really want me to talk about this? And, and the reason 
I was hesitant. The reason that I struggled with what he kept bringing to the forefront of my mind was this is a really weak area in my life. You know, I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old. I got baptized when I was 16. I've been in ministry for 20 plus years. This particular subject, this particular discipline, this particular area, whatever you want to call it, is really a challenge for me. It's something I've struggled with my entire life. And so as God kept bringing it to the surface, I kept pushing it down, going, there's got to be someone better to talk about this. But listen, as he normally does, as I was preparing for this message, God did a work in me. He really convicted me of a lot of things and kind of refocused me when it came to this particular subject. And I hope that he does the same for you. Um, you're going to know what the subject is right from the get-go, so we're going to just jump right in. There's this time where Jesus is praying, and he finishes up, and one of his disciples comes to him, and it's in Luke 11.1, 1, and he says, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us which disciple it was, and I don't know if they were kind of in a huddle and they were having this conversation, and they're like, no, you go ask him. No, I'm not asking him. You ask him. Like, I'm not going up to him. But somebody had the courage to go up to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, that is an odd question coming from the disciples. And here's the reason. Most of them, they grew up in a Jewish family. Most of them from a very early age, they were familiar with the Jewish traditions. They were familiar with prayer. They went to the synagogue. They understood everything they needed to know about prayer. In fact, from a very early age, if you, if you were raised in a Jewish family, you'll be thankful that we're not kind of still there. Um, you had to start memorizing the Torah. And the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Don't do it now, but at some point, flip through the first five books of the Bible and see how much content is there. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had to not just read, they had to memorize. And if you've ever read through the Bible and read through Leviticus and read through Numbers, like, that is an impressive feat just to read it. But imagine trying to have to memorize it. So most of these guys, like, that was their history. Like, they grew up understanding Jewish tradition, understanding Jewish culture. They had been taught to pray. So why now, why now are they asking Jesus, hey, will, will, you, teach, will you teach us to pray? So there must have been something, right? There must have been something in the way Jesus prayed. There must have been something different. There must have been something unique. There must have been something in his tone. There must have been something in the way he approached prayer that got the disciples to the point that, uh-oh, like, maybe we've been doing this wrong. Like, may maybe there's something more to prayer than what we've been taught. And, and listen, maybe you're like me. I, I don't know how you approach prayer, but let me just start with this question. If, if you thought back to, like, every single prayer that you've ever prayed, what percentage of those have been answered? 25%? 50%? 90%? And how many of those answers are true answers, or are they like random coincidence? How many of you have been in a situation where you lost your keys, and you were desperate to get to that meeting or whatever appointment you had, and you cannot find your keys anywhere? And so what do you do? You resort to prayer, like, Jesus, please, like, reveal to me where my keys are or move them right in front of me, do whatever you need to do, but i got to find my keys. And then, lo and behold, a few minutes later, you find your keys. Did Jesus answer your prayer? Very possibly. Did you just maybe find your keys where you left them? Very possibly. 
Or, or maybe you've been in a big event and parking is crazy and you just want a spot up front and so you pray, Jesus, please, like I need, I need a front row spot or at least something close. I don't want to walk very far. We're late. Like, please. And then you see those reverse lights in the second row and you're like, yes, I'm going to get a good spot. Did Jesus answer your prayer? Maybe. But what about the 50 other cars that are close? Like, did they pray the same exact prayer you did? Is that why they got a close spot? Like, is it coincidence, or did Jesus really answer? What about your sports teams? How many of you have prayed for your football team or basketball team or baseball team? they got to win this game, or they got to make it to the championship. I mean, poor Pastor Byron. I think he's been praying for the Cowboys for like 20-plus years. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor, that was low-hanging fruit there. Um, but what does, that, what does that say about Pastor Byron's prayers? What does that say about, like, I'm a big Florida State fan, and I've been praying for years that we'd be competitive again. And maybe, maybe God's about to answer my prayer. But listen, what, what about the, the team that they're playing? Like, if you pray for your team to win, and they win, like, did God answer your prayer? Maybe, but what about all the people that were praying for the losing team? Like, did they not have the right formula? And so, listen, what, what happens is we start to wonder about what, what is the formula to prayer? How, how, how does this work? And let's just be a little more serious. My guess is every single person in this room has prayed for somebody that has some kind of health or medical issue. You've prayed that God would heal them. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. Some of you have prayed for marriages. You've prayed for your own marriage. Sometimes he saves the marriage. Sometimes the marriage ends. Maybe you've prayed for a job or a promotion, and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Maybe you've prayed for some financial issue in your life, and God has come through right away, or maybe, maybe he hasn't. And so what happens to many of us when it comes to prayer is we either give up because God didn't answer in the way we had hoped, or if you're a believer, you're like, hey, like prayer's in the Bible, we do it every Sunday, like I gotta pray, so I'm just gonna keep praying but maybe we've lost faith in the power of our prayers. And maybe, maybe we've been approaching it incorrectly. That is what God revealed to me in these last few weeks, and I think what he wants to reveal to all of us. And so the disciples, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus is going to answer them. And we're going to jump back to the book of Matthew. Um, this is one of the things I love about the Bible, especially the Gospels. We've got four different perspectives on Jesus' life. And so Luke's particular account of Jesus teaching them to pray, he doesn't go into as much detail as Matthew does. And there's a good chance these could have been like two separate events. I'm sure Jesus taught on prayer more than once. But we're going to see Jesus answer in detail in the book of Matthew. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Starting with verse 5, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray, and this is his response. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, in typical Jesus fashion, he gets asked a question, and he answers indirectly. He doesn't answer the how-to. He's going to tell them what not to do. And so the example he provides are the examples that the disciples would have seen, right? His followers would have seen all of the religious elites, the Pharisees, they pray out in public. They use all these big words, and they do that so they can be noticed. And so on the very front end, Jesus is trying to communicate something that he doesn't really like. In fact, it's something he probably detests, and that's 
hypocrisy. People who want other people to see them a certain way on the outside, but they're not being honest with who they are on the inside. And that was the issue. As you read through the Gospels, the New Testament, that was the issue with the Pharisees, right? They wanted everyone else to see how great they were. They wanted everyone else to think they were holy and spiritual, but on the inside, their hearts were hard. And so Jesus' first instruction is, listen, if you're going to pray, and when you pray, make sure you approach me honestly and humbly. Do not be like the Pharisees. Do not be like the religious elite who just want other people to notice them. And then he continues, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now what, what's their reward? What do they get for praying out in public? They get the world's attention. They get the attention of people. And isn't that the tension for almost every decision we face in life? Do we want to make a choice to get the world's attention? Or do we want to make choices to get God's attention? And so Jesus is starting to set the scene. Listen, it's very important when it comes to prayer that we understand this is a time between you and God. This is not a time for you to try to impress other people. This is not a time for you to try to get the world's attention. He continues. But when you pray... But when you pray, so he shifted his attention from the Pharisees. Now we're going to talk to the crowd. We're going to talk to you. But when you pray, and listen, this morning Jesus is going to answer every single big question about prayer. We're going to learn the who, what, when, where, why, and how of prayer. But he starts with a when. He says, but when you pray. And I love this. There's just an assumption from Jesus that you're going to pray. It's not if you pray, but when you pray. And I love the fact that he gives us total freedom about when we pray. There's no instructions here about, hey, I need you to pray at 5 a.m., or I need you to pray at 1 p.m., or I need you to pray at 6 p.m. None of that. Jesus, he says, listen, you have absolute freedom to pray whenever it works for you. There's no rules. There's no timetable. No schedule you've got to keep. The assumption is that you are going to pray but you get to choose what works best for you. And I know about my life, like, I've been through some seasons in life. Like, we have three kids. We have, obviously, those kids were real little at one point. They're not so little anymore. But, man, depending on the season of life determined when I could pray. So you've got the flexibility. You've got the freedom. Jesus just says, hey, listen, when you pray. Then he gets more specific. That's the when. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door. Go into your room and close the door. Now, is Jesus being literal here? Anytime we're faced with a verse like this that gives us like very specific instructions, we've got to interpret it in light of all the other verses in the Bible. And let's think about Jesus' life for a second. There are so many examples of times that he prayed in the New Testament. And there are so many examples of him praying, not in a room, and not with the door closed. So obviously this is not a literal instruction from Jesus, but he is trying to make a point. When he says, go into your room and close the door, he's saying, do do you have a place? Do you have a place that is private? And do you have a place that is distraction-free? That is super important. It's the second thing 
that he addresses after answering the when question is the where question. Do you have a place? Is it private and without distraction? And listen, in just a few minutes, we're going to learn why that is so important. But he started with the when. Now he's told us where. Then he continues. And when you pray, pray to your Father who is unseen. So now he's, now he's addressing the who. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Now listen, many of you grew up in traditions where you prayed to maybe Jesus' mother, maybe to the saints, whatever. There's nothing in the Bible that supports that we pray to Mary, that we pray to the saints, even that we pray to Jesus. And, and I've made that mistake, like honest mistake, where I say, dear Jesus, you know, as I start my prayers. But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 you, you have direct access to the Father. You can go directly to him. And again, we use Jesus as our example. Jesus didn't pray to himself. He prayed to his Father. Now, let me make a distinction because many of you have heard the phrase, we're going to pray in Jesus' name. That comes from 1 John, and, and listen, that, that's a, a real thing. But what does that mean? When we pray in Jesus' name, we are still praying to God, but the reason, the very reason that we can go to God directly is because of what Jesus has done on the cross. See, we were not in a position to have a personal relationship with a holy God because we had sin in our lives. We, we were broken, and sin cannot be in the presence of a perfect God. And so that is the very reason Jesus came, is to take the penalty for our sins, to pay for it, and put us in a position where his blood covered our sins. And now we are completely forgiven, and now that puts us in a position where we can go directly to God. In the Old Testament, I don't know if you remember this, but for you to have communion or communication with God, you had to go through a priest. And there was a temple, and there was this room in the temple called the Holy of Holies, and it represented where God's presence was. You as just a regular person, you were not allowed in that room. Only the priest, only the consecrated priest could go into that room. And that room was separated by this huge, thick curtain to make sure people knew it stood apart. That, was, that represented God's presence. The moment Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that, that curtain was torn in two and it opened up access for every single one of us to go to our heavenly father directly. And that is what Jesus is foreshadowing here for his disciples and what he's telling us 2,000 years later. Listen, you have got direct access to your heavenly father. And I love that he's, he's so personal in his address of God as father, but he also says, listen, he is unseen. So while God is, he is infinite, he is mighty, he is powerful, he is holy, he is also personal. He is your heavenly father, and he wants to be in relationship with you. Now, this definitely begs the question, some of you, some of you, your earthly fathers have not been a great picture of your heavenly father. And I would guess in a room this size, we kind of run the gamut, right, with our father experience. Some of you had amazing fathers. Some of you had fathers that loved you unconditionally, and while they weren't perfect, they did the best they could to help communicate what a relationship with a heavenly father should be like. Some of you, you had your dads walk out on your family. 
Some of you might not even know your earthly dads. So what, what do we do with this, this image that is throughout Scripture of God as our, our heavenly Father if our earthly fathers have not done a great job of painting that picture for us? See, I think there's a reason over and over again in the Bible God uses this illustration because it's the most powerful one we have. He wants us to understand the intimate relationship that we can have with a heavenly father. And listen, whatever your earthly father experience has been, my advice to you would be just bring that to Jesus. He knows exactly what you've been through. He knows that you don't have the perfect example, and he wants to change that in your life. He wants to reveal who he truly is and how he desperately wants to be in relationship with you. So I love that Jesus contrasts, hey, we're going to be very personal here. Prayer is something that we can engage with our heavenly father in, but he is unseen. He is mighty and he is powerful. And he continues, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now this is contrasting what we learned earlier. Remember the the Pharisees, they prayed in public, they got their reward and it was the world's attention. But listen, when you When you find a place and you address God as your heavenly father, you come to him humbly, what he promises is that he sees you and that he rewards you. How how would that change your prayers if you knew that to be true? If you knew that God not only sees you, he hears you, and he promises to reward you. Guys, that's the thing that's so convicting. Man, we should all be desperate for the reward of God's attention. What that can mean for our life when we understand that God sees us. He wants to know us, and he will hear our prayers. Well, then he jumps back to another negative example. He continues and says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So our first example were the religious elite. Now Jesus is going to give us a negative, negative example of the politically elite. These were the scribes. These were the, the lawyers. These were the, the educated ones, the policymakers of the time. And they didn't even believe in God. They believed in pagan gods. And so Jesus is contrasting these, these men who have all this education and they use amazing words and they're so eloquent in their speech. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. No, you, you don't have to babble on like that. Jesus is saying, I... I don't care what language you use. I don't care how eloquent your words are. I don't care what your word count is. I don't hold a stopwatch. You got to pray for five minutes. You got to pray for 10 minutes. None of that. I do not care about your words. The, the words are almost inconsequential. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, I care. I care way more about your attitude and how you approach me. And, and check this out. This is where it gets really good. Jesus says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Listen, the reason you don't have to use a lot of words, the reason you don't have to be eloquent in your speech, the reason you don't have to pray a certain way, God already knows. God already knows every single thing you need. Now listen, let me ask this question. Think about your last two or three prayers. What's been the format of those prayers? 
if you're anything like me, like the format has been, Lord, please help, you know, my aunt who has cancer. Um, Lord, will you please, you know, help me be a better husband. Lord, will you help my children as they're making, you know, certain decisions in life. Lord, will you help me with this financial situation. You know, Lord, will you help me with... And we list off these petitions. We, we list off these things that we, we want God to do. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, God already knows what you need. But then that begs another question, right? What, why pray? Right? If, if God already knows, he, he knows every single thing you need. He already knows what you're going to pray. What is the point? What is the purpose of prayer? Seeing so many times, I think, the purpose of prayer is to make sure God knows what I need. Yet Jesus clearly says, nope, he already knows what you need. And now he's going to reveal how we should pray. So he continues, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. So Jesus does exactly what he just instructed the disciples to do. We can go directly to our Father. He is personal. He is relational. We don't need to do like memorized prayers. We don't need to do ritualized prayers. We don't need to do rote prayers. We can address our Heavenly Father in conversation. And then he says, hallowed be your name. So after we address God as Father, his example is hallowed be your name. Now, I grew up in the Methodist church and um, one of the things we did was we recited the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. So even before I could read as a little guy, I would sit in service and I would hear them say the Lord's Prayer over and over again. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and I learned it and memorized it. Well, at, at one point, I got to the point and I asked my mom, I was like, listen, um, what does hallow be your name actually mean? And after my mom laughed uncontrollably for a few minutes, um, I learned that while aloe is a great natural remedy for sunburn and maybe for burns on your skin, it has no place in the Lord's Prayer. The word is actually hallowed. Hallowed be your name. And so I learned what hallowed meant at a very young age. And listen, it's not a word that we use in everyday conversation. I doubt you've used it in the last you know, five or ten years. But this is what hallowed means. It means to honor something as holy and sacred. And if you're anything like me, this is the part of prayer that I so often miss. This is the part that I gloss over because I'm so quick to get to my request, to get to my petitions, to get to my list. And the very first thing Jesus instructs his disciples to do when it comes to prayer is to hallow be your name. We need to find a time to pause. We need to find a time to reflect on truly how great God is. And this goes back, remember what Jesus said about the where. Go into your room and close the door. Go find a private place. Go find a place without distraction. Because that is truly the only way we can hallow his name, right? It's truly the only way that we can spend time and pause and reflect on how great God is. That the, the very God that created the universe, all of the galaxies, he created you too. 
The, the very God who sent his son to die for you so you could be in a personal relationship with him. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the uncreated creator, and he wants to be in relationship with us. It's a time for us to remember how big God is compared to how small we are, but yet we are still so big in his eyes that he still cares so much for us. He cares for every single thing that's going on in our lives. Hence the reason he already knows everything that you need. So when it comes to prayer, we address him as father. The very next thing we do is we've got to find time. We've got to find a place where we can do this appropriately. We can honor God for who he is and remember the fact that we can be in a personal relationship with him. But what, what about our requests? What do we do with those? Glad you asked. Jesus addresses that next. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm going to be honest. This, this is where the conviction really came for me. Because I don't know about you, but I get this backwards all the time. Most of my prayers, if I'm honest, they're about my kingdom. Most of my prayers are about my family. Most of my prayers are about my friends, about my finances, about my church, about my country, about my needs. And Jesus is clearly communicating to us that is not the point of prayer. Remember, I already know your needs. I already know everything you need. So Jesus is reversing that and saying, when we come to God, it is our chance to reposition ourselves and recognize that it's God's kingdom that needs to be our priority. It is his kingdom. It is his will that we should care about. Our prayer should be, God, how does my family fit into your story? God, how do my relationships fit into your story? God, how do my finances fit into your story? How does my church fit into your story? How does my country fit into your story? How do my needs fit into your story? God, where, where do I belong? What is my role in your story? And listen, that's a very different approach. Bottom line is this. God is way more concerned when it comes to prayer about our position with him than our position, petitions to him. Way more concerned about our position with him than our petitions to him. Man, if there's anything I can say this morning, God knows your needs. There's not one thing you can say to him that he is not aware of that he does not already know. The point of prayer is this. It's a daily reminder, maybe more often than daily, but to make sure that when we pray, man, we have got a time set aside, we've got a place that is private, so God can remind us of our position, that we are a part of his kingdom. And listen, if you want to experience the abundant life, you want to experience all the blessings that God has for you, we need to stop praying about our kingdoms, and we need to find our place in his kingdom. And it will revolutionize our lives. It will revolutionize our families. It will revolutionize our relationships. So listen, we're headed into spring break. Maybe if you have, you know, more freedom in your schedule this week, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Find a time. 
Find a time in your schedule, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, however long you feel is necessary, and find a place. Pick a place that is distraction-free, that is private, and make sure we're praying for his will and not our will. For some of you in this room, you've heard us talk about this personal relationship with God. You've heard us talk about the work Jesus has done to make it such that you can have that personal relationship. If you've never made that decision to follow Christ, to accept Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. We do this every Sunday at C3. The Bible's very clear. It says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. There's nothing you've got to do. There's no list. There's no requirements that you have to fulfill. You just putting your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you, knowing that he rose again on the third day, to let you know you have an eternal relationship with your heavenly father. So I'm going to ask that everyone bow their heads, close their eyes. We're going to pray. And listen, if you've never made that decision, again, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. You can pray out loud. You can repeat these words in your heart. But you just say, dear God, I acknowledge that I've got this brokenness, this sin in my life. But I also acknowledge that you sent your son to die on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven, that you loved me so much that you wanted to be in a personal relationship with me. So I thank you for sending him, and I'm so thankful that he rose again on the third day so that I could have an eternal relationship with you. Lord, as best I know how, I place my faith in you. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.